0: Well, it's good to be here with you again, as Isaac says. It's good to be in front of everybody. And um, what a topic. A great commitment to the Great Commission. I know they've turned the volume down, so I can't get too excited, and I promise not to get too excited. <laughs> Otherwise, Hilda's going to leave. Isaac um, talked about patterns in the Old Testament. And um, there's a lot of good patterns and also a lot of sad patterns. And despite everything that God did, um, his family and his followers forgot, turned away. And what's interesting before I start today, um, I want to share with you um, something that I came across in preparing for this lesson. The Barna Institute of Research in Ventura, California. I'll read from there describing this. In partnership with Seed Company, Barna conducted a study, this is in 2017-18, not so long ago, a study of the US Church's ideas about missions, social justice, Bible translation and other aspects of spreading the gospel around the world, available now in their report translating the Great Commission. When asked if they had previously heard Of the Great Commission Half of the US churchgoers 51% said I do not know this term It would be reassuring To assume that the other half Who know the term Are also actually familiar With the passage Known by this name But that proportion Is 17% Meanwhile the Great Commission Does ring a bell For one in four (laughs) 25% Rings a bell So they can't remember what it is. Six per cent of churchgoers are simply not sure whether they've heard this term, the Great Commission, before. The data indicates that churches are using the phrase less, which may reveal a lack of prioritising or focusing on the work of the Great Commission, but may also indicate that the phrase, rather than the scriptures or the labour has simply fallen out of favour of some. Age also makes a significant difference in whether churchgoers recognise the Great Commission. More than, one, more than one quarter of elders, 29%, and boomers guys in my bracket, say they know the text compared to 17% of Gen X and 1 in 10 millennials. As with other church going groups, people in all generations are more likely to choose the right passage from a set of options than to remember it unprompted. Roughly two in five people among the three oldest generations correctly identify the Great Commission. 43% of Elders, 42% of Boomers, 41% of Gen X. Church-going millennials, however, are about as likely to misidentify, 36%, as to correctly identify the Great Commission. Although not even half of any age group knows the Great Commission well. The youngest adult generation is less likely to recognize it. Again, this study cannot conclude whether respondents are ignorant of the scriptural mandate itself or just unaware of that it is commonly called the Great Commission. In this case, it's possible older generations may be more familiar with the Great Commission because the term was previously more on uh, vogue almost thought, you know, I should send these people an email and tell them they should include the, the points in the next submission because I think everybody here would get that right. But they're not, of course. Um, but look at this. I thought I'd share this with you just in case. You know, I wasn't going to take a vote. But just in case, just in case, let me read to you what the Great Commission is. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Indelibly burn that into your mind. So Barna then takes a different tack and quoting from their research, Taking a different tack, Barna also presented churchgoers with five different passages from scripture and asked them to identify which one is known as the Great Commission. A little more than one third of churchgoers, 37% correctly identified the Bible passage. Far more than those who recognised the Great Commission in name alone. Nearly all the churchgoers who indicate they have previously heard of the Great Commission, 94%, also select the passage in Matthew 28. Matthew 28. The remainder of churchgoers either does not know which of these verses is the Great Commission, 33%, or offers an incorrect answer. Five passages. 37% of the people given this got it right. May that not be in our place. May that not be here. We hear of generations of Israelites forgetting. May that not be here. Matthew 28, 18. Here it is again. What is it about this passage? You see, it's nothing new. This is nothing new. God had a plan. And so let's go through a couple of slides to talk about that plan. I know Isaac's already done some of the work for me, but this started way back in Genesis. Genesis one twenty-eight, And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living that moves on the earth. From creation, God had a plan. He wanted to bless the people. He wanted them to grow and multiply. He wanted to have a relationship with mankind. Genesis chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth. That's what God's plan was. Fill the earth. He blessed blessed Noah and his sons for that purpose. Then Genesis chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you And him who dishonours you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God blessed Noah. Let's include the previous one. So God gives a blessing to Abraham. So for what purpose? In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed through Abraham. In Exodus 19 and 5 to 6, God covenants with Israel to represent him on earth. They were to evangelise the world to God's cause. That the Jews forgot the vision, that the Jews forgot their mission, is a great tragedy. Occasionally, they would catch a glimpse of God's purpose for them as a nation. Isaiah forty-five twenty-two. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other God. In Malachi, For from the rising of the sun to the setting my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In Psalms 86 and verse 9, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Occasionally they get it, then they lose it. But God always had a plan to make sure the world knew he was there. In First Samuel, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. For what purpose? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That was the purpose of David taking the Philistines head off that the whole earth would know that there is a God. When Solomon dedicated the temple, he proclaimed that the temple was built so that all the people of the world, of the earth, might know God. When he wrote in 1 Kings 8.43, Here in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all of which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, including the people Israel, all the world, that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Even the psalmist, he wrote in Psalm 72, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The whole earth to be filled with his glory. Israel lost their ways generation after generation after generation. Some of them turned back. And what happened? It happened again and again and again. But Jesus came to earth because God had a plan. He got a new plan. He came to earth, died for sins so that all may know God. And how's that going to happen? Well, this few verses sets that in, 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 on path. I mean, I don't know if you're thinking about how the apostles are feeling right here, having lived all this time with Jesus, who's now died, come back, spoken to them. And these poor guys are going to think, what's going on here? And then he tells them these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You're one of those apostles. How am I going to get the message out to all the nations? How is that going to work? see, God always had a plan. <laughs> he's got it worked out. He knows what he's going to do. So the disciples have endured a lot to get to this point. They've walked through the darkest day in history, struggled with their own emotional responses to Jesus' death and are still reeling from his resurrection. But after multiple exposure to risen Jesus, Matthew says in the prior verses, they're struggling with doubt. They're struggling with doubt. After seeing all this, they're still struggling with doubt. But Jesus here is unveiling phase two of his plan and it was to empower the church to spread the gospel. It was not long and the plan starts in Acts chapter 2. The gospel spread quickly throughout the world as the apostles followed Jesus' command to go but what about the next generation? What happened to them? Well, we see in that second generation, in, in Paul talking in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, Paul talks about all this is from God and through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul is telling the Corinthian church that they too are Christ's ambassadors in the world and they are all called to share the gospel. Just after Stephen's death, the church is persecuted and scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, all except the apostles in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And as Paul hunts down Christians, the Bible says that those who were scattered are said to have preached the word wherever they went in Acts chapter 8 verses 3 to 4. These early Christians believed and lived the Great Commission. It was for them, not just the apostles. Paul wasn 't there when Jesus gave the Great commission, but he played a major role in spreading the gospel throughout the known world. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul gave these instructions to his young protege in second Timothy chapter two and verses one to two i Uh, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Entrust to others who will be able to teach others also. You see, this is our responsibility. A lawyer asks Jesus, what is the great commandment of the law in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38? And Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The starting point of a relationship we have with God is God's love towards us. When we receive that love through grace, the natural response is to love God in return, to do what God wants. Jesus committed in the Great Commission, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, The omnipotent one of verse 18 is the omnipresent one of verse 20. But this is more than an affirmation that Christ is everywhere. It is personal and perpetual promise of Christ's presence with us. This is possible through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The disciples were commanded to witness for Christ after they received power from the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. By the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit, these frightened disciples became bold witnesses. Likewise, we cannot fulfil the Great Commission in our own wisdom, strength and resources, as Nathan highlighted in his little talk. The human spirit fails unless the Holy Spirit fills. A commitment to the Great Commission requires a commitment to Christ and to one another. It necessitates a Christ-centred, gospel-driven fellowship. Jesus issued the commission to a group, not just to one individual. In a real sense, they were to go together. Baptism declares one's commitment to Christ's disciples are to teach other disciples to live in obedience to Christ. Christ. Jesus did not teach his disciples in a, a classroom setting, but he taught them as they lived life together. We need to live a life of gospel intentionality. When we reflect on that passage that we've just indelibly burnt in our heads, we should ask ourselves this question. Why is it that so many who hold the key to salvation, the very message that could save an eternity in hell and we could give them eternal life and a relationship with a loving father. Why is it that so many choose not to share it with others? In summary, in Mark, chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The gospel to the whole creation. It's such a powerful and purposeful ring to it. There is no greater goal for the Christian life than to give it all for the sake of the gospel. To order one's life so that the good news of Jesus Christ might be preached to every person in our generation. We can be assured that men have lived and died for lesser things. Therefore, let us not waste our lives... Or anything less than the high calling of God in Christ and the diffusion of the gospel throughout the world. While preaching to the Jews of Antioch in Pisidia, the Apostle Paul gave to King David one of the greatest compliments that can be given to any man. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 36, Paul declared, for David, after he had served the purpose of God, in his own generation, fell asleep. In spite of all his flaws and failures, it is the testimony of scripture that King David served the purpose of God in his generation. If this can be said of an Old Testament saint, how much more should it be said of you and I? Because we bear The name of Christ, we have a more complete understanding of who He is. We've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, we should no longer live for ourselves but for Him, who died and rose again on our behalf. We are His workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works. Therefore, we should strive to walk in them and not grow weary. We have been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Although our generation is only one among many, it's still our generation and the one for which we are responsible. We have not been called by God to turn back the shadows on the steps and repair the past. Nor are we called to rush into the future and arrange what it should be. However, we are called to advance the purpose of God in this present generation to be stewards of God in this one moment in human history, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to every man, woman and child under heaven. Only then may we join the Apostle Paul in his triumphant declaration in the face of death. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but to all those who will have loved his appearing in Second Timothy chapter 4 verses 7 to 8. Whether we desire it or not all of us have some degree of influence on our generation and all of us will stand before God and give an account of himself. Therefore, we who know better ought to seek to influence our generation according to the will and purpose of God and thus secure for ourselves the joy of an untroubled conscience on the day of our death. To live well is to die well. May it be we continue to be glue and practice gregariousness.